This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having a 16-year-plus friend, Jeff Roseman, on the show, one of the top real estate brokers in Manhattan and nationwide. And we used to live in the same building, and we're close friends, so this should be a good discussion. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. Looking forward to it. Excellent. So, Jeff, talk about, you know, you've been living in Manhattan and, and on top of this industry you know, pretty much since college. So talk about your background and then let's talk about some of the nuances of signing good leases and, and you know, what, what's a good concept and, you know, what kind of risks you should take. And, you know, we'll educate people here on how to think about real estate, primarily in Manhattan. Great. So I've been doing uh, retail leasing in New York now for close to 30 years. I've seen many trends come and go. I've seen many markets up and down, you know, lived through some incredible, obviously, tragedies and then some incredible financial meltdowns. And, you know, it's a, it's a resilient city. Um, retail is a resilient business. And when I say retail, it's all sort of uh, affiliated businesses. Fitness, obviously, is a big part of it. Um, you know, fitness was always sort of a, a minor part of New York City landscape. There mm -hmm. were a bunch of guys that controlled most of it, you know, Bally's and, and uh, the Vertical Club and uh, Jack LaLanne, which I guess eventually got bought by Bally's. And there were about four or five. And, and you know, fitness industry was always sort of looked at a, a little bit negatively. That was it was not a... Um, you know, it was, it was just not in a, uh, looked at as an amenity. It was not looked at as something that owners wanted at the face of their building. Mm -hmm. Obviously, fast forward to today, you know, it's one of the bright lights in, in our industry. Um, it's an incredibly growing field. It's, it's spawned, you know, athleisure and, and health foods and, and all sorts of wellness. And so it's, it's a, it's, changed the dynamic, certainly, and it's obviously in a market that's shifting now with retailers going out of business for, you know, whatever reason they're going out of business. People, some say it's it's online. It's it's also just retailers take their course. They've been going out of business for 100 years, you know, so. Yeah, that's um, a fair point. I don't, I don't think people realize that, that you know, that, that comes and goes. Right. And brands get into favor or out of favor. Exactly. Uh, and, and the brands that have gone out of business the past few years, you know, tend to be retailers that you probably, and I haven't walked into for years. Right. They just haven't done anything to sort dress of, barn clothes. Like I, it didn't, I didn't skip a beat. It didn't, uh, the Toys R Us me. or Radio Shack. Circuit you, City. Right. These were companies that did nothing to yeah. sort of, uh, you know, change. I do miss Radio Shack, though, because you always could pick up like that little Speaker plug wire that you or, or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Who serves that now? I think you, that you get online. I mean, you could. Yeah, but I need it like in five minutes is a well, problem. You could, yeah. Well, huh, maybe I'll get a, a, a express delivery. Right. Or send like an urban fetch guy. Right. Somebody like that. But when you look at the at, at how landlords have kind of changed over time, mm -hmm. you know, obviously you, you a lot of them used to say, and, and also in a, a leases I used to look at, like a target would say, okay, if I'm going to be the anchor tenant in your strip center, you're prohibited from having a health club because they thought they took up too many parking spots. Right. So what, what was it? How did the, how's the mentality shifted and how much have you been helpful in kind of educating landlords to say, well, actually there's a legitimate membership business and you know, what groups do you use to say, okay, look, here's like a, 
it was like a shining light that right. you need to understand is now like the norm. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Look, the good news, I mean, I think that the parking, and that's a great question, but the parking, um, you know, health club parking is, is sometimes complimentary. People come in at seven o'clock in the morning, do their workouts. You know, Target is probably not even open at that time or whomever the, the, uh, you know, retailer is. And, and, and there are ways to get around it, obviously moving forward. That's probably going to be less of an issue. Um, but they do bring an incredible, uh, customer to the, to the center. And, and if you own a business in a, in a, urban street or in a, a power center, um, having an equinox or, or some, a soul cycle in that center is going to bring you, you know, people who are going to probably spend money after their workout. Yeah. I just saw that, um, Coles just did a deal, like a 10, 10 location test with planet fitness. So do you see a number of these retailers going forward, you know, trying to bifurcate some of their space and say, Hey, look, I'll bring somebody in, yeah. you know, with like a Dick sporting goods or yeah. somebody in that. Lord and Realm. Taylor announced that they're doing it. They, they, they are about 20 of their stores. They are, uh, they're putting in a, uh, uh, I think they're doing a deal with WeWork. They're doing a deal with Pinstripes. They're, they're, you know, they did it in their fifth, uh, Saks, same owner on, in Manhattan. Oh, the Wellery? The, the Wellery. They did uh-huh. that big restaurant up, up on the 10th floor. Um, you know, they, they are seeing that there's, you know, you need some sort of, uh, alternative traffic generators to bring people in. And it's a brilliant idea. I don't think, you know, I don't think people want to shop on an eighth floor of a department store anymore to go look at furniture, you know? Right. So, so if there's something else up there, it, uh, it's, it serves the need. Yeah. What, uh, what do you see a lot of the landlords now that are, you know, if the market's kind of, you know, been depressed slightly and they're, they're kind of holding out, like I passed by this place on, uh, it's Ben and Jack's Steakhouse. Like it's been off out, out for like a year, mm-hmm. so they're they're just holding out. Well, like how long do you see people in general like say, okay, I'm waiting for the market to come right. back? Well, you know, there's there's two situations. Sometimes when you see a store that's empty and and people perceive the landlord's holding out, sometimes they have to. They they've made it. Their bank has certain requirements on them to achieve a certain amount of rent, oh, okay. and if they don't, they're in violation. So even, even if they keep it where they're, they're paying, what, what, how does it work? Are they still paying the rent, obviously, well, or the mortgage? They're, they're, they're still paying, paying their mortgage, mortgage. But, but if they lease it for the next 10 years at a below number that they had, uh, you know, projected to the bank, yes, they, they, can, they can face a lot of penalties. Interesting. That's a real issue. That nobody talks about that. Nobody talks it. about it. People think that landlords just sit, and, and I'm not defending landlords. It's not the, the point here. We can't there, for a second, though. Well, want. there are some All landlords right. that definitely do that, but, but there's a lot that, you know, when you, when you, you know, valuation of real estate is based on the lease, right? So if you were expecting to get, you know, a million dollars a year in rent, and you end up getting half a million dollars a year in rent, You've you've effectively knocked off millions of dollars of value, and mm-hmm. and that affects that affects the real estate. So so it's it's not it's not a simple you know I might as well just take whatever I can get. Um, there as I said, there are some landlords that do that, um, and that's a problem. But for the majority, I think um, most landlords have sort of come to Jesus this these past the past year. Mm-hmm. They sort of know what's happening in the marketplace, and if they can make a deal that is, you know, maybe less than they expected, but still works for them, then they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Have you seen um, any changes in 
people saying, okay, second floor space or eighth floor space, like I can put, I'm seeing a lot of these, you know, use our term halo, but halo concepts that are going in and saying, okay, I'm going to do a spa on the eighth floor of this office building on 27th street. Do you see that trend continuing or or do you advise people to say, look, there's nothing like, you know, some signage, (laughs) there's nothing like an awning. There's nothing like, you know, the second floor where people can actually see what's going on. How do you, how do you kind of advise people? There is nothing like visibility. If you're in that type of business, I think, you know, you can get visibility on probably floors one through three. Mm -hmm. I think the higher you go up, if you're just in a building on the eighth floor, then you're just accessed via a directory, um, it's trickier, but you know, it's, it's done. And, you know, so it really depends on where the brand is going and what their plans are. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you see as some of the biggest issues, like with these studio concepts coming in or, um, fitness centers, is it still kind of like noise violations and, you know, uh, quiet, was it quiet enjoyment? Yeah. Yeah. No, clause? it's a great question. I mean, it's, uh, that's an issue, uh, you know, depending on the type of building it's going in. If it's going in a residential building, they tend to be a little bit more um, uh, concerned about that, the owner does. You know, what I see is I, I, when I see these companies that come to, come to us looking for a new space, you know, obviously you evaluate their business, you evaluate sort of who the principals are, where the capital is coming from. Do they have a plan or is it just a trainer who thinks, you know, they, they've seen it and they, they really believe that they can do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Some have, obviously, but it's like, as you know, it's not that easy to do. You know, people think, wow, if I just get 20 people an hour in my class and they're each paying $40, I'm going to make a lot of money. You know, obviously there's a lot that goes with it. So we, we look, we try to really get into the weeds with a lot of these guys and, and some of it just flushes out by itself. And then, you know, from there you take it the next step. So how, how do you, um, how much of your business, you, you want to talk about your current business and then talk, explain to us, to me and, and the audience, you know, the difference between like working mostly with landlords or, or being like an, a tenant rep and why, you know, what hat you need to wear and, and how you advise groups accordingly. Okay. Um, so our, you know, my business is, is both landlord and tenant, probably a little bit more on the landlord side these days. We represent a lot of, you know, a lot of the premier owners and developers in the city and in the country, and we advise them and we are their eyes and ears. And, and now more than ever, is it, you know, I mean, people, you know, if, if H&M came and wanted a store, there's not that much sort of thought that has to go in it. Now it's a little bit different. There's, there's a lot of more uh, interesting concepts that we have to dig in and, you know, and, and figure out the long-term viability of it. Um, so, and then on the tenant side, you know, I, I try to get my clients to have a package that can present well. So when they're sitting in front of smart landlords, as most of them are, they can, they can talk the talk and they're going to be able to talk about where the money's coming from and if there's a down year and, and who the competition is and, and, you know, where, you know, what happens if, because that's mm-hmm. really what landlords care about, right. you know. And when, and when you're, you know, historically people said to me, probably when they want to be derogatory, they'll call me like a broker, 
or business broker. Um, I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm actually like an investment banker, or I'm like your most important advisor for the biggest deal you're it's ever going to do. People want to be derogatory <laughs> to me. They call me an investment banker. Ah, that's good. But um, like, you're really helping. What I've come to learn over, over like a thousand health clubs and studios is that like your lease is either an asset or a liability. It's right. usually not anything but one of the two. It's hard to say like that's like kind of middle of the road. See, so like really good, really bad, or I don't know. They seem to like fall in those two buckets, right. not just like gray area. So, you know, as you have a client that's um, doing a rollout mm-hmm. and, you know, whether it's an H&M or Capital One or Commerce Bank, I think it was one mm-hmm. of your clients back in the day. Um, how do you kind of like balance and say, look, I know this sounds like you're going to crush it there, but trust me, like don't, don't overpay for this. Like, right. let me show you something two blocks away and, and stay like a trusted advisor and tell people maybe what they don't want to hear. Well, yeah, and that's a great point, and that's what we do. We have to do that. I mean, I, I got involved with Equinox early on, the original owners, the, the Erico family, and I saw in them this, this you know, a vision, you know, and I remember we, we actually tried to do a deal with uh, Donald Trump at, uh, I'm trying to think which building, I think it was the GM building at the time, mm-hmm. and we submitted a letter of interest and I got a call back from one of his people said, Donald doesn't want a gym. And I said, it's not a, it's not a gym. This is, this is the next level. And, and, you know, uh, it was, they were really, they had built a better mousetrap. Um, so we structured, we, we set up a time. I took him through the Equinox at 63rd and Lex. It had just opened at the Barbizon hotel. Took who? Donald Trump. Oh, right. Yeah, because his guy said, all right, let's, let's get him through it. Let's let him see it. And uh, I set it up with Danny Errico, and we, we, we had this whole sort of, it took a, a couple of days to set up through his schedule and to sort of get, it, get him there at the right time. And we got him there one morning. And, you know, even back then, I'm talking about 15 plus years ago, he was still a, you know, a rock star celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people still turned and, and he walked through and he said, wow, this is really different. And obviously, you know, oogling some of the treadmills and what have you, but, um, <laughs> but it was, you know, that was how we had to sell Equinox in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, they are just, if it, on paper, it looks like a health club and, and people think of Jack LaLanne, that's what they were thinking about right. back then. So, you know, it's, it's our job as their broker to sort of paint this picture as, as pretty as we can, you know, some fluff, but, but you know, the truth. And what happened? We did not make the deal. Um, we, uh, you know, he was way over market with what he wanted. It was actually in the GM. It was in the space, believe it or not, that... Apple is in oh, now. When he owned, cube. when he owned that building, that was a fast food restaurant. Okay. That was a couple of levels, and he had a second floor, and um, yeah, so it never happened. But it. Uh, but and you advise him to say, hey, look, this is too, the the model's not going to unit economics is, don't justify paying. Yeah, it was taking they, a risk on the company. For correct, that. correct. Look, in hindsight. That was about the time when Danny was probably looking to make a very visible splash because mm-hmm. he sold probably not that long after. So, you know, you see why he would have wanted to do something, you know, in the Fifth Avenue corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. When you look at 
just, just for background of people maybe who aren't in New York, and you look at the rents on Fifth Avenue, you look at some of the rents in Soho, where uh, these companies view it as like, a well, it's a branding opportunity. Like, how much do you personally understand that and be like, hey, look, I get that you're not going to make money here and it's good for your brand. Or you're like, look, man, I've been living in this city a long time. You just, you're just overpaying. Yeah, like, I don't care yeah. what, what line item you're putting in. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that's all BS. <laughs> a branding opportunity is BS. You, you can't not make money, um, especially on Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Ralph Lauren. They, they signed a lease. I mean, Ralph Lauren, one of the arguably the most successful retailers ever. Yeah. You know, they signed a 20-something million dollar a year lease on Fifth Avenue. Why? Nobody to this right, day. It was like, I don't know what the math is on that. It was like $70,000 a day or something. Yeah, I mean, they, I had, it, they have to do, they roughly had to do about $150 million in sales to sort of break even. Right. Um, and A, there was no reason, uh, you know, they didn't need that, that presence. So when, you know, I think that was an overused term. I don't think retailers sort of say, you, you can have a branding opportunity, but you still have to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so nobody writes it off anymore. I mean, years ago, maybe some guys would go to Madison Avenue as sort of an entree into the country and say, you know what, we're going to plant that flag here. And right. if we break even, it's fine. Right. Expensive uh, flag planting. Well, event. you know, if they, they spend a lot of money, or they did in advertising, and, and it's as good an advertisement, uh, you know, a, a billboard on Fifth Avenue or on Madison Avenue is as good as a full page in the New York Times. Right. So how many times over your career, you know, as you think back and say, okay, like, I've, you've changed your, your view on, like, rents, or I've changed my view on, like, what the value of properties are, besides, like, inflation, but... Like when you see something that's like so overpriced, you're like, hey, look, man, like, okay, this isn't the new norm. This is like a blip. Right. Like how, how do you, yeah. you know, experience is, is everything, it, right? Yes. And, and rents have gone up and down in various corridors and, and you know, uh, many, many buildings are just, you know, grossly, you know, overpriced. And, you know, it is offensive to some degree and it's hard for me you know, I, I generally don't take assignments that I don't believe the rent is attainable mm-hmm. um, at. And, and when I'm representing a tenant and we stumble across a piece like that, you, you know, you really have to walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to understand where that rent came from. And generally, those crazy high rents are a result of somebody who just purchased the building and, and has to get you know, his return and what he believes is the return. So right. um, I generally like to find owners that are a little bit more stable and secure mm-hmm. that have owned it for a long time to our point earlier and can sort of afford to make a deal with a great tenant and just not deal with it for another 20 years. So one analogy that I want to bring up here with you, when, when Integrity Square does a deal and, um, and we're representing the buyer or the seller and they say, well, what are the working capital adjustments? Like, how do you treat prepaid personal training or how do you treat deferred revenue? And I say, well, this is how Integrity Square does it on all transactions. And that becomes kind of like the the norm. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't really fight that because this is what I've done on the last 10 deals. Mm-hmm. And I'm the authority, you know, in my own little world here of like how that gets treated. So how important is it when you are representing a client, they know that Newmark and Jeffrey Roseman is like, you know, basically the advisor and handling this deal. How important is that when you go into a negotiation and say, hey, look, this, like, this is ridiculous. Like, 
we're getting this amount of TI, like this is what the market is, right. or hey, this HVAC system, like this is your responsibility, it's not mine. How much of it, like, can you like dictate and say, look, I've been doing this for a while, I'm going to protect my client, right. and like this is how it is. Yeah, no, it, and it's uh, to your point. It it is you you can with authority you say, look, this is how it's done, and and hopefully your client uh, adheres to it. You know, as long as you're on the up and up, which we all are, you know, it's why would you be steering them in the wrong direction? And, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, but it's it's a negotiation. It's human nature. People want to sort of hold on to their views and beliefs on certain things. And you try to fight for certain things as long as they're not uh, going to torpedo the, the transaction. Mm-hmm. And then what's your view over the next five years as you know, obviously e-commerce and, and home delivery gets more and more prevalent. You know, do you see, I'm not going to my Starbucks now around the corner here and like, there's like four people online, but there's 15 people waiting to get their, you know, drink directly from their app. So there's right. no, there's no transaction that's taking place with a human right. anymore. Now it's almost like, you know, like I'm queued up, like do you, do you see like a whole transformation of like what these locations look like? Almost like a, you know, um, like at the airport where you're like waiting for like a ticket line. Right. <laughs> you know, like that it becomes that. Yeah, or- look, it's it's changed and it's changing and we are still sort of at the, you know, we're still at the infancy stage of it, I think. You know, there's been a, an incredible amount of interesting concepts that I've seen the past year or two that have sort of come our way, you know, retail and quasi-retail and co-working, but for retail, you know, mm. as opposed to, you know, so it'll be a, a, a space full of uh, hairstylists or a space full of trainers or, or whatever it is. And, and, you know, so there's an incredible group of smart people out there that are looking to just, you know, build a better mousetrap in, in their space. And, and so um, we continue to see that. I mean, I, I expect to see that a, a lot in the food space, a lot in the health and wellness, or certainly wellness is probably very, you know, early stages. Exactly. Right, Halo. Right. So when, when you take a look at, um, okay, let's take a new concept like you're talking about. So I've got this the, a group of salonists that are in a, is that, is that the right term? Salonists? I think so. All right, salonists. Salonists. I kind of like it. We'll go with it. So they're, co- they're colo in there or it's like a group of acupuncturists and other professionals in, the, in their own space. How do you advise a landlord to say, hey, look, I believe in these people. You know, here's the way to, to insulate yourself. One, you've got a security deposit. Two, maybe don't give too much TI. But, you know, like there's a 50% chance that this thing's not going to work. Right. You know, and then explain to us after you answer that question, if I could parlay that into question two, please. It's okay. Yes. Sir. Okay. Um, uh, like this good guy guarantee mm-hmm. or this good guy clause, and what what risk there is, and how that works. Well, the first question is the million dollar question, right? I mean, if we knew if these businesses were successful, were going to be successful, um, we'd probably not only do business with them, but try to invest in them. Right. Um, so you, 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 again, you can only make an educated decision. And again, based on who, who's involved in it and what sort of money they have and, and, and how they 
how they sort of put themselves forward, you have to make a judgment decision. And, and if it's between them and somebody who may have a better balance sheet, well, you might opt to go the other way. Mm-hmm. If it's between them and leaving the space vacant and, you know, and, and your owner sort of needs to make a deal, I, I think it's worth the risk. Generally, a tenant like that will spend a lot of money in the space. If they do go out, which is terrible, but if they do, you've got an improved space and, mm. and the next group, it, it helps. What was the second part of that? Uh, just to, to how this, you know, people throw around this good guy guarantee right. clause. So, good, so can you explain now what that means? A good guy guarantee is just that the tenant in place is going to be a good guy when they, when their business is dissolving and they realize that it's not going to work, they turn over the keys. That's really all it is. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, because the courts in New York can, can generally favor the tenants, so a tenant can stay in business for probably a year without paying rent. Mm. You know, there are very uh, smart attorneys out there who know how to game the system. Mm. So a landlord just doesn't want to deal with that. He, not only, he doesn't want a bad tenant uh, compounded by a guy who's now going to be in arrears for a year. So if I, if I give you the keys back... right. Do, do I stop paying rent on you, that? You that stop day? paying rent. Your your personal guarantee is is uh, stopped well, once okay. you give back the keys. You lose your security. Right. You lose whatever you invested into. And, the, and everything that's that's in the location, except like if I had a health club, like I could take out the equipment, you're but not I would supposed leave, to. I leave everything. You, well, you know, anything that's... I'm not planning on doing this, by the <laughs> way. I just want everyone to know. Anything that's that's not affixed. Um, you can probably take out, but that's where it gets a little gray. Okay. So from a landlord standpoint and, and going back to your bank comment, like if they sign a 10 year lease and there's a good guy guarantee and I'm out in year three, mm-hmm. well, not me, but somebody, mm-hmm. you know, as an example, except me, uh, gives back the keys, that landlord, that, that bank basically said, okay, I thought you guys had a 10 year lease, but yeah. you really don't. Yeah. Yeah. Bank, yeah. you know, the banks are, are the, the grim reapers to a lot of these landlords. I mean, they are, mm-hmm. they are always sort of kowtowing to the banks and they have to then make good on it. And they did what they could do. They, they, you know, they tried and now they're going back to the market mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the rents have gone up a little bit since they signed that lease or, you know, maybe the improvements in the space will, will garner a, a better user. Mm-hmm. So uh, flipping towards growth, do you, when you look at, let's say, like um, outer parts of Brooklyn or you look at like places in the Bronx or maybe like Hoboken or other areas, maybe not, not on Man- the island of Manhattan, you know, how do you help somebody calibrate and say like, okay, this, this area is, you know, got a lot, Williamsburg is an mm-hmm. example, like, okay, there's a lot of high rises going there. So we're getting some vertical density, mm-hmm. you know, how do you kind of calibrate between getting there too early or get there like right on time? (laughs) It's a good question. Um, You know, people struggle with that. And, you know, look, there's a lot of data out there these days where you, so you know who's living in these buildings, you know what they do for a living and how much money they make and, and, you know, a lot about the customers these days. So Mm -hmm. it's much, um, you know, uh, a much more educated decision. But I did want to bring up one another point in sure. terms of moving forward what I do see. I think what Related did buying Equinox is one of the most brilliant moves for a residential developer, right? You know, they, they saw that, you know, what's going to make their apartment buildings sort of sexier moving mm-hmm. forward? How are they going to attract 
And if you have a chance to move into two apartment buildings and one has an equinox at the base of your building, well, that's a really sort of neat play. I see more owners, I see more uh, developers looking to buy some of these retail or health and wellness or fitness concepts, mm -hmm. and they have it built in. So each building that they build, you know, is going to have a, 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 you know, Barry's Boot Camp or a, a you know, or a Soul Cycle or a, a something along those lines as part of an amenity to offer because, you know, that's what these, that's what the apartment buildings now have to offer, right? Mm -hmm. So are, are you saying that those types of groups are, are groups that we should be targeting if we're selling a, let's say we're selling Orange Theory or we're yeah. selling Barry's Boot Camp, like... That laundry list I, of I think there's, developers there, there are, are some understand. guys out there that would certainly look to do that, and and it makes sense. And you know, look, I mean, you know, with with related help, although you know Equinox has done it on their own, but but you know they have they're arguably one of the hottest brands in the world now from a retail standpoint. Equinox is there mm -hmm. is there you know when you think about sexy brands, you know, whether it's fashion, LVMH or Gucci. I mean, Equinox is, look what they've, they've created. And, and I don't know if you've seen the new stuff that they just did at Hudson Yards. But, I haven't been out there yet. But, but it's, it's, it's mind boggling. And it's mm -hmm. so, it just shows where, where fitness, you know, where the industry is going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're not alone. Obviously there are other folks that are sort of inching their way up there. And, and so that's, that's what I see. I see more joint um, you know, joint projects with mm -hmm. folks like that. Yeah, somebody I was talking to last week about a, a really strong uh, boutique concept. This guy said to me as an investor, he said, oh, all they have is a good brand. I'm like, well, that's pretty much the only thing that matters. I mean, you could put a couple of letters or you could put a symbol up and actually like evoke something that like you think highly of or that they're like that they're an authority in, right. you know, like that's it. You know, that's all they, they have is a good brand. Right. Like that's kind of everything. All they do is make money. <laughs> yeah. Just promise you that I'm going to deliver this right. experience or this feeling or this quality. Right. Um, so, so as you look at like what you're, one of my buddies always says to me, you know, him actually, um, he says, Pete, what's your return on time? You know, like, how do you manage your time? How do you manage like what concepts are going to, you know, be good or who's going to pay you or so on and so forth. So how do you think about your business? Obviously, you got a big team, so you can cover a lot. But how much of your time is spent with, like, new emerging brands versus, like, hey, I've got banks and I've got retailers and I've got food companies. And, you know, how, how do you and, – and how much of that is, like, your personal passion? Yeah. And how much of it is, like, hey, look, this is kind of what I do. It's bread and butter, you know. Well, I'm the guy for you that. You know as well as anyone. You know, you, you get feelings from certain companies, from certain mm -hmm. people that you sort of run with. That's it, as a passion. Lately, I've been meeting a bunch of folks in the esports world, mm -hmm. which I, I really didn't know much about. And I, as the more I'm digging into it and, and seeing this unlimited potential, I'm saying, wow, this is a, a, a next step in our industry. Mm -hmm. Now, will these guys ever end up taking space and, and being a real force in retail? I don't know, mm -hmm. but it's it's interesting to me and, and we're spending some time on it. But you have to couple that with, you know, obviously you got to pay the, the bills. And, yeah. and so your, your, your traditional retailers and landlords and, you know, deals that, that sort of got us here are, are obviously still our bread and butter. But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is now there's just so many, 
unique concepts and so many ways for your attention to get diverted, um, yeah, you have to sort of try to reel it in. It's not, it's not uh, you know, it's not a simple task, mm-hmm. as you know. When, when Netflix was down big uh, last week, yep. you know, obviously there's a lot of people that have a Peloton. There's a Peloton in the basement of, of this building, mm-hmm. um, but there's not Pelotons in like everybody's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still like I, I walked by the Smith the other day. It was packed, you know, with a line. Was there a Peloton in there? There was not a Peloton in there, but I think there was avocado toast. <laughs> um, no, but the point is that like I think people need to stop thinking that everyone's just going to stay in their apartment because right. it's not going to happen yes. and people actually want to do stuff. Correct. Um, so uh, there, there was someone who told me that they put in a mirror in a hotel and then they, they nobody used it, so they took it out. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, maybe, you know, in closing here, kind of talk about what you see as like the future uh, of the market and that all these technologies are basically going to help you know, maybe increase the revenue of right. a number of these groups, but not, you know, it's not going to be a ghost town around no, here. No, it's not a ghost town at all. And I think a lot of retailers and restaurateurs um, have sort of realized that, you know, it's an overused word, but creating an experience is sort of now what you have to do. Um, you know, you go into some of the better retailers these days, even the banks. I mean, some of the banks create this. Yeah, so a Capital One commercial. Yeah, Capital yeah. One, Republic Bank just opened in New York. Shameless, uh, pro, you know, press for them. We, we do a lot of their work, but, but they have created an incredible environment. It, you don't feel like you're walking into a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these food halls that have opened across the city, same thing. So, yeah, people don't want to stay in their room. They don't want to stay in their apartment. And, and it's just, but, but they also don't want to go into a store with, you know, 12 foot slat ceilings that haven't been, you know, cleaned and it's sort of, you know, unhelpful help and, (laughs) you know, people that just sort of salespeople on commission. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and so, so I think the more that retailers and, and, you know, companies are able to sort of grab their, grasp their arms around it. That, that, that'll change the game. Mm-hmm. And you, you've run a big team and, and you've been embedded in the, in the sector for you know, 30 plus years. What, what are some of the quotes that you, you know, typically say, or like if there was like a Roseman ism, you know, like what do people hear you say? Uh, there's a couple, but I mean, I, I, I had a client many years ago. I used to have to meet him early in the morning. Uh, he wanted to look at space because his office was in New Jersey. So I'd meet him at about seven o'clock in the morning, which is not early now. Right. But you know, when you're 25 and staying out all night, it's pretty early. Um, and I'd show up at his, at his meeting at his apartment at seven o'clock and he'd be sitting there with a scowl on his face. Says, you're late. I said, what do you mean? It's seven o'clock. If you're not early, you're late. <laughs> you know, and it was just uh, to this day, 25 years later, I never forgot that. Uh-huh. And and it's sort of not even about time anymore. Now it's about us, you know, looking at concepts and 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 at business and and sort of the way we conduct our business. And so that to me is a truly words that I live by. You know, if uh-huh. every once in a while I'll get a call from a friend of mine, hey, I saw this great store in. Uh, Chicago, you, you should go after them. You know, it's called, uh, you know, Amazon plot, whatever it is. And I'm like, dude, you know, thank you. But obviously but you knew about it 12 months ago. I knew about so it. So be early on th- knowing three years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I feel that sometimes people try to, uh, 
tell me about a concept. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I've been there. I was at the kid's sweet 16, you know, right. the people that own it or something. Right, right. Um, so, you know, as, as you look forward here and, and see this, this, you know, dearth of opportunity, you know, DC, you know, the boutiques, what's, what, what, what's your view on the boutique side? What's your view on, you know, the continued growth of like Equinox and then Lifetime coming into New York? Mm-hmm. Do you see, you know, more and more, like there are 11,000 bars in New York City and there are only 1,000 fitness is that, destinations. Is that That's correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when someone said to me, you know, it, the, this city's oversaturated, I'm like, well, if you change the three Moscow mules for a workout class, then it's not. Then it's right. actually could be 11,000 to one right. the other way. So. Right. Do, do you see, you know, more and more concepts coming through and more landlords saying like, yeah, bring that to me? Yeah, look, I think landlords are definitely much more receptive now to it than they ever were. I think the strong will survive as in any industry, right? Even when, when Starbucks first came to New York, there were four coffee chains sort of sort of jockeying for position and yeah. they ended up buying most of them, you know? So I think there'll be some consolidation, obviously. Um, there'll be new concepts coming in, and 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 um, so you know I continue to see you know growth in that area. And again, I, I, I expect to see more in the wellness sort of medical. Uh, a lot of these concierge medical groups, mm-hmm. um, folks that are doing that industry better. Um, and yeah, we look for a bunch of that. Great. Well, you've been live with Pete Moore and Jeff Roseman. And before we go, make sure to catch Jeff Roseman's inaugural podcast where he'll be overviewing a lot of the real estate titans of New York City. And uh, Jeff, anything you want to share about that? No, we're excited. We're, we're going to get the, some of the great names of, of the guys who have built this city, both from a real estate and a retail standpoint, uh, folks that generally you don't know too much about, but want to get tell their story and and you know some of the most amazing stories about how this city got built um, by by the guys who did it themselves. Behind the curtain of New York real estate, Roseman style. Catch it. Hopefully you've learned a little bit about the real estate sector, how we think, and always be early, never be late. Jeff, <laughs> thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Pete. I enjoyed it. Awesome.